Now, I'm going to speak on baptism. I really believe that we are not understanding the full depth of our salvation and all the benefits of it. Baptism in the, is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, so it's the same word in English as it is in Greek and in Latin. And the word means to immerse. And there's a reason why the symbol of baptism is essential to the symbol of salvation. And the concept of immersing is the concept of covenant. So the idea of covenant is what? To become one. To become one in covenant means that two enter into not only relationship, it's more than that. You know, people who enter into a contract enter into relationship, but it's a limited relationship. Covenant is an abandonment of self to where the two literally become one. All right? It's, it's beyond a relationship. It is a state of being. Many of us don't understand that you are one with Christ Jesus. And I want us to understand the depth of your salvation and what baptism symbolizes. So it is the two becoming one. And that's covenant language. And in order for two to become one, there has to be a death of what was old because you're becoming something new. When you enter into covenant, you don't stay the same. You can't stay the same. If you are becoming transformed into the other being, you're not going to be the same. Does this make sense to you logically? So you cannot be two separate entities as a contractual situation. A contract upholds the two parties. A covenant eliminates the two parties into one. So there is a death in baptism. That's why we talk about being buried with Christ. You're being immersed And there's a death to the old life, and you are becoming new into one new being. And as far as Jesus is concerned, you're no longer individual you, you're his body. You're one with him. Father, make them one as you and I are one. Okay? So this is covenantal language. So the two become one, and that's identity. Probably the best illustration I have, and I use it all the time, is when you take two separate objects, an Oreo cookie and a glass of milk. Right? This is the best illustration I have for baptism because of the illustration. You have an Oreo cookie, beautiful, wonderful, pleasant thing that it is, and you have a glass of milk, not lukewarm, for I will spew it out of my mouth. Rather have it cold or hot, either one, but not lukewarm. And you take those two entities, those two things, and you take that Oreo cookie and you immerse it into the milk. You get skilled at this so that by the touch of your fingers, you know how saturated it should be. What happens to the milk with that cookie? It gets chocolatey. The milk gets chocolatey, right? It takes on the flavor of that Oreo. What happens to the Oreo? Saturated with the milk. The two become one. You can't extract the milk out of that Oreo. 
It has absorbed it. Am I right? Now, and it, now uh, this is where the illustration stops. I'm just helping you in case you want to try this. Don't leave it in too long because it begins to crumble and you've got to get a fork and get it out. And that's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Timing's everything. But I use this illustration because when you are baptized into Christ Jesus, Christ comes into you and you come into him. And you are no longer two separate beings. You are what? One. You're one with him. So every decision he makes, he's not making independent of you. Every aspect of your life is part of his life. What you're going through, he's going through. What he wants you to bring you through, you will come to because he is directing you. So this is essential in baptism. It is covenant language. You're not two separate beings anymore. You're one. So let's apply that to salvation. And through the symbol of immersion, the water is a symbol, but there's a reality that takes place. On your outline, Romans 6.3, some have said that this is the most important verse in the book of Romans, and it says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, I'm going to switch the word immersed, all of us who have been immersed into Christ were immersed into his death. You have to die to come to Jesus. Now, this is essential. That's why we're going to have a lot of people who think they're saved and they are not saved. You'll ask them, do you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus, they believe in Santa Claus, they believe in the Easter Bunny. Well, when they grow up, they get rid of those things, but they still believe in Jesus. What do you believe in Jesus? Well, he's this guy, he died on the cross for my sins. But have they died with him? Have they entered into covenant with him? Or is this just a belief system and a thought and an idea? Well, watch their lives and you'll see if they are walking in oneness with Jesus. If they're not walking in oneness with Jesus, it's simply a thought. We're not here because of thought lives or belief systems. Some people are Marxists, some people are socialists, some people are capitalists, some people have different ideologies. And if, if you believe in Jesus but you haven't been immersed into Him, it's no different than any of those other belief systems. Does this make sense to you? So what this verse says is, don't you know that those who have been baptized into Christ or immersed into Christ were immersed into his death? When he was nailed to the cross, you are believing you were nailed to the cross. And when you accept that sacrifice, you're not just accepting that sacrifice, you are dying with him. You can't come into this relationship unless you die. That's why we put the people under the water. It would do us well to keep them under there a little longer for them to begin to really realize, I'm going to die! It's like, yes, you are. You must. So you don't add Jesus to your life. You die in Christ. Then when you come out, Christ is in you. All right? So salvation means you died with Christ. 
And so if you're dead, the flesh is dead. If you're dead, you have power over sin because it's been put to death. This is what the book of Romans is all about. But we keep letting our flesh stay alive. And we can't have that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in or by one spirit, we were all baptized or immersed into one body. Now this is how far this goes. He, look at this is a waterless baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This is what actually happens by faith. The water part is you acting it out so everybody can publicly see it. This is what actually happened. You were baptized by the Spirit or in the Spirit into the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying not only figuratively are we one body, but literally you were immersed into his body on that cross. When you say he died for my sins, it's not just some kind of uh, a cute analogy. It literally took place. How many of you know the old spiritual? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, oh, sometimes it makes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there? Yes, if you accept what he did, you were there. You were in his body. You died with him. If you have not been baptized into his death, you cannot be baptized into new life. Do you see what I'm saying? So we've got to be so careful with this easy believism. Who wants Jesus? Accept Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus. I say this. Da, 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 da. You're in. It's so much more than that. It's not a magical incantation. And it's so important for you to understand this because if you die with him and you're in his body as he dies and you recognize this miracle of transformation in that moment, you're by faith recognizing I deserve to die. I deserve the judgment. And oh God, you did die for me and you connect to that moment. Literally, you transcend time and space and you're baptized into the death of his body so that you're baptized into his resurrection and new life and you become one with Jesus not just by a thought not just by an analogy literally you are now immersed into the body of Christ man we got to get a hold of this thing we're walking around like we're just a bunch of people who have another idea that's right, you can't destroy this out of me you can't take this out of me you can't take it out of my thought pattern or life I'm already dead. I'm one with Christ. So he goes on, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This is what happens by faith. You were baptized into one body. And he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are literally not who you used to be. This is so essential. This is what's so freeing. This is so freeing because how many of you screwed up? Come on, right? Some of us, 
And some will say, well, I was really bad. You know what? We all were. It doesn't matter the degrees. We were all that bad. This is what is so freeing is that when you are immersed in the death of Christ, you have become a new creation. Remember, you're no longer identified as who you were. You cannot be. This is why you've got to get this. Please, Jesus, help us. You are no longer remembered for whatever sin it was. You Remember, you're dead and you've become a new creation in Christ. That's who you are. So Jesus is not going to look at you and go, remember, I remember when you were 15 what you did. No, there's no recollection of that. It is dead. It's in the tomb. He knows he put it there. Again, Don't you know those who were immersed in Christ were immersed in his death? If you were identified, if you came to faith in Jesus, you died with that body, you were put in the grave with that body, that identity is gone. 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 Well, what about if I sin while I'm saved and I know him? He handles that. He deals with that. He will convict you. He will tell you. And he will correct it because he wants your heart to be with his heart in relation to the Father. And he will work on that and he will reconstruct that and he will talk and work with you on that. But you're not separated from him. You're a new creation. This is the depth of salvation and many Christians who don't understand the depth of this thing. And if you don't know the depth of it, you continually get beat up by the enemy. Because you think you're separated from Jesus. Jesus, come help me. And it's like, what? I'm, I'm right here. I've never, I've never left you nor forsaken you. I can't be separated from you. All right, now, what happens in this immersion, what happens by this is you therefore make a confession. When out of the abundance of your heart, this is a biblical principle, and it happens to whether you're a believer or not, out of the abundance of your heart, out of the filling up of your heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. See, even unsafe people do that. I dare Cut someone off today. When you're driving home, cut someone off with your car, and out of the abundance of their heart, something's going to come out of their mouth. Have you witnessed this? All right, so as you're immersed into Christ, there's a confession that comes out of you. So let's look at it. Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the treasure of his heart produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Romans 10, 9 and 10 is what happens as you come into Christ for salvation and you're immersed into his death and you're immersed into the body of Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We so often Say this, you know, if you want to receive Jesus, come up and say this prayer. I believe Jesus died for my sins, right? So we have them confess with their mouth. That's biblical. What we really need to stress is what's in their heart, right? You know, I've led a lot of people to the Lord. I've told them to say this, repeat this prayer after me. And, and there's a number of reasons why people say the prayer. Peer pressure, uh, they're desperate, 
they need, a, they need something. We'll try Jesus. I've tried Aunt Judy, and she won't give me any more money. And I, and I asked my parents, and they still won't help. I'm desperate. I need something. I'll give Jesus a try. I've been on the foreign field where you hand out water or food, but, you know, minister to them and say Jesus, and they're like, yeah, whatever to get the food, I'll say Jesus, I'll say Buddha, I'll say Allah, whatever. Just as long as I can get the water and some food. You know what I'm saying? But what this verse is saying is that the confession is because what has transpired in your heart, because the the sequence is out of the heart the mouth speaks. We don't speak unto believing. You believe and then speak. And so the confession is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's essential. Why? Because if His sacrifice for sin was not accepted, He wouldn't be risen from the dead. So if you believe He rose from the dead, you believe He died for sin. And God received that. There's there's an element of understanding here that makes you confess He is Lord. Okay, so here's the thing. There's a baptism and immersion into Christ Jesus, into the body of Christ. And it makes you confess. Out of the heart, the mouth confesses. But there's another immersion. One is unto death. That's into the body of Christ. The other is unto life. Now God wants to immerse you into life. You've been immersed into death so that you can get rid of your old identity. You've been immersed into death, into the body of Jesus, on the cross, so that we are all now one in his body. Now there is an immersion that Jesus is going to do to immerse you in life so that life is released out of you. And this is the baptism of the Spirit. Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, that's John the Baptist, but he who is coming after me is greater than I am, whose sandals I can't even untie, man, I can't even touch him, he's so awesome. He will baptize or immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What is fire a symbol of? Purification, fire purifies, doesn't it? Burns up and it cleanses. What else with fire? Zeal, fire, zeal, I'm fiery. It's also a symbol of judgment. Jesus, you got to get this, folks. Jesus not only is going to baptize all of you who are in him, he's also going to baptize everybody who is not in him with fire. It's the cleansing agent. So either you get baptized with fire from him internally, or you will get baptized by him with fire eternally. You're going to get baptized. You're going to get purified. God is going to purify his, his creation. That's what this is all about. God is giving us all time to respond to this love because there's coming a time when he's going to hit the switch, lights on, and this party's over. I used to play in bar bands. I used to play in nightclubs, and I used to play all sorts of places, right? And I'd play the music, and everybody's like, two o'clock, flip, lights go on, and everybody's like roaches. People look at who they're with, they go, 
Lights on, party's over, out. That's what's going to happen. There's a day when Jesus is coming. The lights are going on and everybody's going to see it. Right now, if you have been immersed in Him, you're one with Him. Now the fire that He's going to immerse you in is the fire of new life. The fire of joy. A fire of righteousness. A fire of zeal in love to the Father. And He wants to immerse you in that. And this has been lost for a greater part of the church because it's just a little bit too much for us. We want to stay in control. But if you're one with Him and He's your Lord, who should be in control? He'll never make you do something you don't want to do. And the Holy Spirit will only do things in you that will glorify Jesus. So let's read of what's going to happen here. He's here to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's life. That's resurrection. You identified or baptized into death. Now He's going to resurrect you in life. John 7, 37-39. On the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out. In the Greek, it means this. He shouted at the top of his lungs. you got to remember, he's with thousands of people. It's the last day of the, the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles. It's at this point on the eighth day, it's called the octave, that they are lining the streets chanting Isaiah 1.12. Therefore with joy we'll draw water from the wells of salvation. Do you happen to know what the, word, the Hebrew word for salvation is? Yeshua. Yeshua. Everybody's lining the streets saying, Ah, therefore with joy we'll draw water from the wells of Yeshua. Therefore with joy we'll draw water from the wells of Yeshua. Yahoo, Yahoo. And it says on that last great day, Jesus stands up in the midst of this declaration and all this, and he cries at the top of his lungs in this religious ceremony at the temple. And he says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what he's offering. Life. But you have to first die to become one with him so that you can handle this life that's going to come out of you. There's the resurrection. This is baptism. And so he wants to immerse you in life, a newness of life. And so many Christians are stuck on this side of the cross. They're always just on this side in the death, in the death of Jesus. It's great, it saves you, it's great for the death. But Jesus wants you on this side of the cross into life, life abundantly, life flowing out of you. Out of his heart or innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. John is giving us a commentary. This he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, he hadn't died on the cross yet. You can't get this till you are immersed into his death. Once you're immersed into his death because of your sin, you will rise with him and he will immerse you in the resurrection life so it should come out of your heart, shall flow rivers of living water. And we already understand that out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So out of your mouth comes rivers of life. Have you ever thought about that? We say, yeah, out of our innermost being, out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. What does that mean? You know? By the end of a service, it should be soaking wet in here. 
right? We'd be like the church wearing boots and raincoats because it's like... (laughs) So what's this river of life? Put it together. Anytime there's an abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. If there's been any failure of the church in Western Christianity and in the United States over the last 50 years, we stopped speaking. The Holy Spirit's been shut down. Something's supposed to come out of us. Life. Not arguments. Not shouting and yelling at other people. Not this or that. But life. Can you speak words of life? The difference between a Christian and everybody else is not how loud they yell. It's the quality of what they're saying. You have a river of life. Listen, why do you think the most important gift in the New Testament is prophecy. Every explanation of the gifts in 1 Corinthians, in Romans 12, in Romans 14, in in Ephesians, every list of the gifts, they're diverse and different except for one that's constant in every one of them, prophecy and edification. Because a river of life is always flowing out of the Christian. It should be. Look at what he says. Here's the confession. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially, but especially prophecy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him unless it's interpreted. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. So tongues is a a byproduct of that outflow. So that's your prayer language, and you're speaking to God mysteries. That's cool. That's great. But he says, what I really need, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. So let's get this right. Tongues speaks to whom? And the word tongues is languages, glossolalia. Speaking spirit languages, it's the river that's coming out of you. Now this river can flow as a river to God in prayer, and that's where the prayer language tongues comes from. It's good, great. But what does prophecy speak to? Who does prophecy speak to? People. We need more of that. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their edification, exhortation, and comfort. So what do people need today? I would say these things. This world desperately needs the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. You've been baptized into his body. Have you been baptized by his Spirit now to release life out of your mouth? to people. Oh, we've got Pentecostal people who speak in tongues and pray in tongues like crazy, but they're the rudest people on earth. Rude and mean and intolerant and impatient. I'm sorry, that don't line up. James talks about that and he said, you can't have salt water and pure water coming out of the same fountain. James was dealing with that. He said, how can this be? All right. So if we're baptized in the Spirit, there's got to be, sure, tongues and and spirit language, but there's got to be the language that speaks to the people around you. That's because you're baptized in the Spirit. You have an immersion of life. This is where God's taking us. There was a prophecy tonight that we're to look towards what we're becoming, where he's taking us. He's taking the Pentecostals who who understand that spirit life and spirit language into the prophetic now to speak it over people. 
truly, if you're baptized into Jesus for your own salvation, you will be baptized into resurrection life to begin to immerse His presence in this vicinity where you live. Your neighbors will look for you when you step outside your door to come talk to you. Where before, they would close the blinds. (laughs) You're identified with Jesus. If you are identified in Christ, and I'm believing that you are here tonight, you are a son of God. That's a title. You can only be called in Scripture a son of God if you were directly created by God himself. You look at Genesis, and Adam is called a son of God. Angels are called sons of God. Why? Every angel was uniquely and directly created by God himself. They don't procreate. There's no female and male angels. All right, there's no celestial sex up there. They're angels. Each angel was created and is, right? So, direct creation. But yet, we're all sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, right? Until... You die on that cross. And then each of you is individually birthed by the Spirit of God. And now you have the authority, John says in 1.12, to be called a son of God. Because you're one with Christ. You are Him. He is in you. You are a son of God. If you are a son of God, you have the authority to speak on the Father's behalf. Therefore, what should be issuing out of us because we are immersed in His nature and spirit, His life should be coming out of us. So that's baptism, everybody. The life of the resurrection flow. Amen?